Welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's producer, media guru, and her son. On today's show, we are going to be talking about scams and schemes to steal your money. With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. (laughs) Hello. Um, Yes, well, this is something that... uh, if you have yourself out there at all, you're going to run into some scams and schemes. I'm kind of differentiating between scams, which are outright grabs for your money that are illegal, basically, and schemes, which might just be more generic dishonesty or <laughs> manipulation, manipulation, <whatever. laughs> sure. Uh, and both of which are to be um, either avoided or approached with extreme caution. So definitely avoiding scams and. It's, it's really kind of amazing that some of the same scams pop up year after year after year with practically the same wording and everything, and they, they typically arrive by email, and, and yet there's always a new crop of artists that for them, this is the first time they've run into this, and I can only think that they must be succeeding because, and people are falling for them, otherwise they wouldn't you know, pursue, like, persist like this. Well, I'm sure it's like any other email ad copy. It, you know, it works 5% of the time and you send out 10,000 of them and you can mm-hmm. expect a certain rate of return. And the most, the most common one of this, of these email things, and, and I could probably almost, you know, just paraphrase it, but hello, I saw your beautiful artwork online. I actually observed my wife looking at your website and our anniversary is coming up and I want to surprise her. And and it goes on like this. And they always use that word like actually, like I actually observed my wife looking at your work. (laughs) Like Like these are people who actually don't speak English very well. (laughs) They they actually have a very interesting template that they're working (laughs) from. (laughs) So, and the same one I mean, I've seen it verbatim. Different people will post it on Facebook and say, hey, I got this thing. Like, I don't know what to think about this. And, you know, 50 other people will jump in with the comments and say, that's a scam. It's been around a long time. Um, anyway, this this particular one is very common. I'm sure there are other ones that are, are similar in wording or intent. But basically, if you if you were to follow up on that, they would want to pay you with something a little outside of normal payment schemes, like not credit card, not PayPal. Usually it would be like a cashier's check or something. And they want to give you more than the piece is worth because they're going to say, um, and, and I need you to contact, I'm going to contact my shipper and you're going to give the excess to my shipper in order to for them to come and collect the work. And at that point you are out, whatever it is you agreed to pay their quote-unquote shipper. Yeah, and this same basic scheme uh, exists on on Craigslist. Oh, does um, it? Yeah, a lot of times when people are selling online, selling anything, they're going to run into this same basic scheme where Mm -hmm. we're going to pay you with a check and you're going to give the excess to somebody else. And Mm -hmm. yeah, and it's always the same kind of... Same scam. And anytime there's a third party involved, you can be pretty sure this is not... Um, a legitimate purpose. So a purchase, I'm sorry. So um, the other thing, I mean, there's other tip offs with these kind of emails. They don't really know what you're doing. Like they don't really know what your work is. So I've had ones where they'll name, well, I'm interested in these two pieces and they'll be completely unrelated or maybe, you know, 10 years old or one is old, one is new, one is, you know, 
and they've just pulled these titles off the internet somehow at random. And, um, you know, as we said, kind of said at the beginning, there's often some kind of odd phrasing or poor grammar. Um, and they, they may want, if you, if you go with it, they may want personal information that is outside of what you would provide on your website or something. All these things are red flags, too good to be true. But, you know, it is kind of, it's sad but true that people are eager for sales, artists are eager for sales. And the first time you encounter one of these, you may think, well, it's not very well worded, but, you know, hey, what's going on here? Let's let's go with it. And I think you know, probably most people would realize before long that there was something a little off about it. So you you have to kind of trust your gut with these things <laughs> or put it on Facebook and see if anyone else has had it and you'll find out right away. With any of the scams or schemes that I'm going to mention, you can almost, I mean, every one that I've ever Googled, I can find out about. There's always people reporting these things. Um, there's really a a good list of these at uh, www.artbusiness.com slash artist pay to play list. And we'll put that on um, our website. It lists a whole bunch of these. These are more like schemes, the ones where you pay to play. So, but if you, if you're concerned about an outright scam, if you, sometimes you just put in like the person's name and they always have these weird names. Like they're like two first names, like John David or, you know, Harry William or something. You know? I don't know why, but they're always odd names. And anyways, there are lists of these names that are online that people use for these scams. So, um, like I said, those are kind of outright grab your money things, but there's, there's a big category of things that are legal, legit, but not very good ideas. <laughs> and these are kind of all fall under the general category of pay to play. So things where the artist, you, are going to shell out money, sometimes a lot of money for something that appears to be a pretty good opportunity for exposure. And there's always that word exposure. Um, and for me, a the word exposure is a bit of a red flag. <laughs> like, what does that actually mean? Oftentimes these... What it means is I want an artist to do work for free so that I can make money off of it. <laughs> well, what it really means is I know you are desperate yeah. to have your work out there. And I'm going to play on this um, basic need, urge, insecurity, whatever it is, that I can do this for you. And it's only going to cost you this much money. The, the fallacy in it, you know, if that were actually true, it might be worth it, you know. And, and there, are, there are legitimate uh, agents and things who would, would charge you to get your work in front of galleries and things. For sure there are. Uh, but these kind of schemes, typically, there really isn't that much exposure. They may be situations where if it's an exhibit, they don't even publicize it or there are there are various forms of these things. Sometimes they're publications, and they they don't actually go out to that many people. Or most likely, the whole enterprise is considered illegitimate by the art world, and any real gallery or collector is not interested. Yeah, and I I think that there's so there's a, a few of these kind of shops around where you pay 
by like the square foot to have your work there. Mm-hmm. That's one of them. And, um, you know, I for for my one of my small businesses that I've mentioned before on the show, Northwoods Drink Stones, um, we are actually in a few of these places. And they're kind of useful for if you're doing like stuff that's kind of small and crafty and not very expensive because people do go there to buy mm-hmm. like gifts for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and these these places for us have been very hit and miss. There's one place that we actually do very well at. Um, we're constantly resupplying them. The product that we're selling doesn't take up a whole lot of room. So we don't pay for very much right. square footage. And we see sales every month. Um, their commission that they take is very, very small. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, there's um, another place in particular that we decided that we wanted to give it a shot because they were in a market that we wanted to branch into. Um, but they had a much higher monthly fee mm-hmm. to be there um, and a much higher commission that they took as well. And um, they've, have, they've, they've sold you know, half or less as much of, mm-hmm. of our work yeah, so you of our product as, as someplace else. And, you know, for them, we were kind of like, well, worst case scenario, we're out the inventory um, and we don't Live really learn. Exactly. <laughs> so we kind of, we sent them like as much as we're willing to lose yeah. on them. But, you well, know. I, I should distinguish too. And it sounds like maybe that first one is kind of there's a there's a kind of a category of co-op situations where yeah. where people where and that's perfectly legitimate. You pay into the ex- expenses to have a a brick and mortar space and um and you receive your share of whatever. I mean you you probably pay in something to the co-op itself. And those are really fine. I mean lots of artists use those. They're not out to make money off of you um and your desire to get your stuff in front of people as much as we're all going to band together and create this space. Well, the place that I, that we've had good luck with, they are a business and they do make money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the big difference is that they're local and we have a personal relationship with yeah. them. This other place, they're across the state. I mean, we wanted to branch into that market, but they don't care about us in mm-hmm. the same way that the people who see us face to face you know, and and part of our kind of interactions when we're branching out is we want to uh, FaceTime, if, even if we can't meet directly with the operator of the business. Where any place that's selling our product, we want to have a face to face meeting with them. So we use FaceTime or mm. Skype to have a face to face conversation with them, so that they know who we are and we knew know yeah. who they are the the problem that we ran into is that they changed ownership of that that particular business and this new person obviously doesn't care about us doesn't care about our work and they're basically just charging us a monthly rental fee without really putting any money in our pockets yeah and i i think there are some points there that are applicable to the art world as well because there there can be legitimate spaces like this and when you're starting out you know the rule of don't pay to play, you know, like a lot of things when you're starting out, you can you can mess with it a little bit. But what you said about not really caring about you as a person, as an artist or whatever you're doing is really important. I think a lot of these schemes that I'm going to go into here in a minute have they're very impersonal. They just want your money. And it's it's preying on your desire to get work out there in a way that I think for artists is kind of 
it's very it is personal. So if they're saying to you, I'm basically they're saying to you, I can make you famous. I can open doors for you. And it's it's less of a straightforward marketing thing than a kind of a manipulation. And I myself experienced this early on, so I'm going to just going to say that I lived and learned. And I can't even remember the name of this operation, but it was in New York City, as many of these places are, because they know that... New yeah, York's just having an address in New York gives them a certain amount of... Oh my of- gosh, like, oh, I can have a show in New York City. Yeah. This is all I ever wanted, you know. And so I, I fell for it, basically. I, I, I paid money to be in a group exhibit. I paid money for a brochure about my work. And the brochure was not well done. The exhibit was full of artists and their friends and family. <laughs> and the whole thing was basically a waste of money. I got nothing out of it. But if, if when I first saw all their promises, I was pulled into it because it's New York City, like you say. And the fact is, in New York City, the real legitimate collectors, galleries, people in the know, you know, they look at these places like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, there's no curating. There's no, there's nothing except uh, if you give me some money, I'll put your work up. And so it's it's difficult to actually use that for exposure that's going to get you anywhere. Um, so um, these places, they, they typically have like a contract or something that you sign? Yes, they do. Yeah. And it's um and and now I guess a lot of them offer different levels say okay for this many thousands of dollars we'll put you in our online gallery and for mm-hmm. this many thousands of dollars you can be in a group show and they you know it's like um pulling you in at whatever level you feel you can afford and and of course the line usually is well it's your career surely you can invest that money and and that, you know, that's a pretty powerful thing because you think, well, if I invest a couple thousand and I start selling a bunch of work, well, you know, it's definitely worth it. But, um, you know, I one of the I was reading a little bit about different things like this online. And by the way, there's plenty of information about these kind of schemes online. One of the points that was made was you could take that same money if it was two thousand dollars and use it to visit. A city where you're interested in getting to know some galleries and use it to, you know, stay in a hotel and go around and talk to people, and you'd probably actually get a much better uh, return for your money to do that. Well, one thing I do want to point out with any situation where you have a contract in front of you is you want to read that contract very carefully. If you don't feel like you can really understand that contract, you want to bring that to somebody else who does. Yeah. And if there is anything that you don't feel comfortable in that contract, do not sign it unless it is amended. Right. Um, You know, that was something that we ran into with this this place that isn't really doing very well for us. Um, when we had our FaceTime meeting with the owner, she she assured us that, hey, these things in the contract, um, you know, we're not going to really hold you to oh, them. Oh, that's such a lie. And I've heard that one before. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the thing is, is that she didn't, you know, she was very lenient with us. But when she sold the business, the guy who who bought the, the business started enforcing these provisions mm-hmm. in the contract that we were kind of told were, you know, there's some give and take sure. here. So well, it, and the other side of that is, you know, if you, if you, the person is saying in the contract, this is what I'll give you and they don't come through. Yes. <laughs> you know, what, what really is your recourse? You know, are you mm-hmm. going to take them to court or are you just going to say, 
wow, that was a bad experience. And for most people, they'll just say, wow, that was a bad experience. Yeah, and, exactly. And move on. And and so in some ways, contracts with with anybody, especially if they're a little bit shady, are you know, well, they don't mean much unless you're willing to to take the legal steps to enforce them. And I think for most of these schemes, it's, I, I mean, I would just guess that most people just kind of walk away with their tail between their legs and say, I guess I learned not and to And I'm trust. sure that that's part of their business strategy is, yeah. you know, and like in, in this uh, particular case that I'm talking about with my business, um, you know, really like the, the, the conclusion that we've come to is, we didn't send them any more than we were willing to lose. Um, they're mm-hmm. still making us money. It's just not very much, mm-hmm. you know, and we kind of figure, well, we'll just let this thing play out and not send mm-hmm. them anymore, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. And I, I think one of the things in the art world that these kind of scheming places rely on, too, is that it's a one-shot deal. So your relationship is ongoing. You can evaluate it. You can change it. You can pull out. You can go yeah, forward. I wouldn't quite call them a scheme, but they're yeah, not. something. <laughs> okay. I won't call them a scheme yeah. either. But with some of these art world things, it tends to be like you're you're agreeing to do this one thing, and you're going to be in this group show or something. And so they're kind of relying on the fact that um, – it's probably not going to be what you want and you're just going to drop out and then they'll go on to the next person. And these these kind of schemes exist in all kinds of formats. So some of them are, are actual galleries, uh, you know, brick and mortar galleries. If you do your research online, you'll find that they're soliciting artists online and they're expecting them to pay something to even um, send a submission form in. So right away they're starting to make money. Um, they exist as online as not online publications or print publications. And there's a whole bunch of these that have to do with like masters of the art world, you know, and you can pay to put your work in there and have a page or two. Um, there are some legitimate ones, which I should mention. And one of them is New American Paintings, Another one is um, Studio Visit, which is published by the same company. And we'll put links to those places in yeah. the uh, description of this And for whatever for reason, for whatever reason, these have established themselves as professional, as actually selecting people. So they're not just putting everyone in who applies. Um, some people question New American Paintings because they have a very particularly limited um, view of what they want in their magazine. But you kind of know that going in. So I don't think it's really a scheme. Another big category has to do with art fairs, and these would not be the kind of art fairs that are held in parks or auditoriums or whatever. A lot of artists very legitimately pay a fee to put up a booth and sell their work. This is this is a different thing. These would be advertised as like international art fairs. They're often worded in such a way that you would associate them with well-known international art fairs like in New York or Miami. And maybe the title of them is somewhat close or something. And they're actually just these little peripheral setups on the edge of a big fair. Um, whether, you know, anyone even visits them or if they're ever profitable is questionable. And they're very expensive because they'll charge you for everything in your booth, um, right down to the light fixtures and everything. <laughs> so, um, so. You know, again, it's perfectly legitimate to go to one of those fairs associated with a gallery. There are galleries that will take on a few um, artists that are not necessarily part of their regular roster, but they'll they'll show them. You know, that's all great, but 
when you're when it's all on you to pay for everything it's probably not going to be worth it. One of yeah, the ones, the more money they are asking you for, the more you can be assured that this is not a good it's, idea. It's more and more of a risk. Yeah. There's one of them called the Parallax Art Fairs, and they're run out of London. They have them in New York and London. I don't know where else. And, you know, I looked those up online. There's kind of mixed reviews. Some people said it was really awfully run. It was, you know, not organized. Nobody came. Um a few people seemed to enjoy the experience, but it was kind of more on the level of, you know, this was kind of cool to be in an art fair, but but that uh, they were not making the money that they had put into it. So, you know, that one has attained, attained some legitimacy, I would say, but I would, anything like that, I would really question and really research it. And don't don't ever take what they're, the lines that they're using on you to lure you in as anything more than that and so you know well like and any- in the age of the internet you know uh it, ignorance is not really an excuse like you can always type stuff into google um you can always do just a little bit of basic background checking on just about mm-hmm. any business or organization that you're, you're you're interacting with and you can probably find reviews and mm-hmm. people who have actually gone through this and see if it's something that is actually worth your time and your yeah. energy and here's, potentially your money. Here's a here's a tricky one, which is um, used to be a legitimate and highly respected organization called Marquis. I think it's Marquis Who's Who. So they have Who's Who in America, Who's Who in the art world, all these different things. So apparently, and this is it's all a bit murky, but in the past however many years, it's changed hands, and now is pretty much just a, a for profit money making thing where. Um, they are not selective in who they put in, and people people know the name though, and they think, oh, this is oh yeah, Mark is oh I'm like I'm really honored that they want me, and they seem to be pretty much just working off of lists of names, and they they then will try to like sell you a lot of products, sell you these overpriced books, et cetera, et cetera, and. I mean, I've been contacted to receive the Lifetime Achievement Award. You know, wow, that sounds cool. Um, so have, you know, I don't know what. Thousands of thousands other people. Thousands of other yeah. people. <laughs> so it's interesting to read on about that one online because many, there are people that kind of cling to the reputation and say, oh, no, it really is. It's good, you know. But then I think in recent years, it's really taken a nosedive, as somebody said. and And so... When you first get that solicitation, you think it's very important, and then you realize it's just a vanity thing, like so many of these other operations. So, you know, being very aware. <laughs> well, and I think you we also need to remember, um, especially with people that are offering you exposure, mm-hmm. um, is that we can use the internet to provide that same level of exposure to ourselves for free. Right. Um, you know, it... it Well, a better level because most of them don't actually give you much exposure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So just like an active Instagram account, Mm -hmm. you know, can can do wonders for your art career and really um, get you out there a lot more than any organization could do. Yeah, especially since they're once they have your money, they're not very motivated to do anything with your work. Well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> like they're not motivated to sell it or advertise it or anything. And that's yeah, and that's something you need to consider is how how are these people making their money? Are they making it because I give them money 
for some service that they're promising to provide or are they making money when I make money? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, if they make money when I make money, then they're a lot more likely to oh, try yeah. to make me money. Absolutely. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And, and that's and- why I'm, I'd almost always, you know, in the art world as well as any other business, you want to work with somebody who's either going to wholesale, buy outright from you or somebody who's going to um, you know, pay you a commission or working on commission. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, you don't want to work with somebody who's charging you rent every month and not, and mm-hmm. they don't care whether your work sells or not. Right. Because if you, you know, if you're relying on them to, to sell it and publicize it, which you typically would be if they were not, if they were at a distance, um, you're at their mercy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, honestly, I have yet to read anywhere about somebody being very successful with any of these places except for the questionable testimonials on their own websites, um, whether it's a publication, whether it's an art fair, whether it's, you know, a, a gallery show, it just, you know, the, the, the positive response really isn't out there. And I think that's what you need to pay attention to. Uh, well, do you have any final thoughts or um, to wrap up this episode? <laughs> buyer beware. Yeah, buyer I mean, beware. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're buying something in the sense of paying out money, yeah, um, for whatever for exposure, mm-hmm. I mean, really think about that one. Yeah, I think that you should always, anytime somebody's asking you for money, that's major major red flag. No matter what you're doing, mm-hmm. um, if you're trying to sell something and somebody wants you to pay them. That's not a good sign. Right. Um, and uh, these these places that, you know, charge rent of some sort, whether it's a co-op situation or whatever it is, um, only deal with people locally, um, you know, especially with artwork, because uh, just the, the cost of shipping mm-hmm. um, yeah. is, you know, so the, the challenge of getting your work back, if you decide, hey, this isn't really right for me, you know, then you're paying shipping there and back or you're driving across the state or even across the country to get your work. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, it's something that if if you're dealing with people who are local, who know you, who care about you and who... If uh, if they don't follow through on their end, you can just go pick your work up. That's that's the only situation where it really makes sense to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, good point. I mean, that local connection and it doesn't work for everyone. If you don't live in somewhere where artwork sells, but yeah. if you do, your local co-op gallery may be an excellent place to start. But um, that's a completely different category, really. Yeah. So, yeah, we'd need to make that very clear. Yeah, so, and we might yeah. need to do just like a whole other episode on just the different gallery types and yeah. and yeah. what uh, is appropriate for what situation. Um, I guess anytime you're opening up your wallet, though, um, in order to sell work, you have to realize that you're gambling and that you may not see that money back. Right. And don't gamble with more than what you're willing to lose. Good point. All right, well, that about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. You can find The Messy Studio on Facebook as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. Please make sure to check out www.squeegeepress.com and www.rebeccacroll.com and sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. Please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, or Stitcher, and leave us a rating and review. Remember to share the show with friends and family and anyone who you think will enjoy it. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thank you. Thank you.